0: We each have our strong suits. Your interests and your strengths may not completely overlap with the research you're carrying on for your grad studies, but they can serve as a blueprint for what comes after graduation and inform the career choices you will make once you're on the job market. Your personal interests are also key for keeping a healthy balance between work and your personal life during your studies. In this episode, we'll be talking with Rob Hutchison, who will share his insights and experience achieving balance during grad school and charting his path in his current non-academic career. Welcome to Papa PhD with David Mendez, the podcast where we explore careers and life after grad school with guests who have walked the road less traveled and have unique stories to tell about how they made their place in a world of constantly evolving rules. Get ready to go off the beaten path and hop on for an exciting new episode of Papa PhD. Before we dive into today's episode, I just want to let you know that I've prepared for you a resource sheet to help you take a snapshot of your current situation and start defining your profile for the job market in your areas of interest. You can download it by visiting PapaPhD.com and following the instructions in the website footer. Welcome to the show. So today we're discussing career paths with Rob Hutchison. Rob Hutchison is Senior Manager at Certara Evidence and Access, a leading global consultancy specializing in the demonstration of product value for pharmaceutical clients seeking to optimize market access and reimbursement for their products. Before joining Certara, Rob was Senior Medical Editor at ICXON, an industry leader in the development of pharmaceutical salesforce training programs and materials. Rob also holds a master's degree in neurobiology from McGill University, and he is a project management professional, PMP certified project manager. Welcome to the podcast, Rob.
1: Hi, David. Thank you for that introduction. And thanks for having me on your podcast. So
0: uh, now I'm going to let you introduce yourself a little more uh, deeply. What would you like to add to the 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 short bio that I inter- that I presented?
1: Sure. So um, I guess it might be worth adding a little bit more as to what a market access consultant is for the pharmaceutical industry. So I work as a consultant for our clients at pharmaceutical and medical devices companies, and we help them demonstrate the value of their products in order to gain favorable reimbursement conditions on public and private drug plans. So, because if a drug is not reimbursed and paid for, it's less likely to be used by the patients who need it. So, the idea around value is that it's not enough to just say that a pharmaceutical product works or even works better than an existing product. You need to demonstrate that the product provides sufficient benefit for its cost. So, the types of things that I work on to to demonstrate that benefit. Um, I do things like budget impact models to show the impact the product will have on a health plan's budget. I work on uh, these large documents called global value dossiers that summarize the clinical and the economic evidence. And I also do research to get insight via interviews with payers who are the budget holders or the decision makers to get their opinion on the data and the likelihood of gaining reimbursement.
0: Okay. Okay. I see. Very cool. So, um, to, so given that you you have a masters in, in neuro neurobiology, uh, and uh, that we're going to talk about how you got to this career that you're uh, working now, the first question I'd like to ask you is how was how was the you know the end of your masters was it
1: easy to uh, find motivation to complete it. I would actually have to say yes for me because uh, I did a master's in in neurobiology at McGill. And although it was challenging, I think that it was easy to stay motivated to complete the 2 years master's program compared to what I know the PhD candidates had to go through, which was four years or more. And uh, I also owe a lot of that to the type of research I was doing as I was conducting research on how a snail's brain controls its mating behaviors. And as strange as that sounds, it was actually a lot of fun. And without going into all the details, um, snails, they're actually really remarkable creatures. And for one, they're hermaphrodites. And they also have a, this bizarre mating ritual where they shoot what's called a love dart into the skin of the other snail during mating. So it's a little bit freaky, but uh, <laughs> they also have really large neurons in their brains. So we were interested in seeing how these neurons respond during these activities, but also whether we could stimulate the nerves to trigger movements in the animal. And so it wasn't like the typical master's research project where you would just run assays all day and hope for the best. We were designing these really crazy experiments and coming up with some interesting findings and this stuff had never been done before. So, okay.
0: And looking at behavior. Yeah, exactly. Okay. That sounds sounds very cool. And, and yeah, it must've been exciting for sure. And uh, so in your master's, clearly you you had a theme and questions and a model that you that you liked and that you enjoyed but still uh, the, you know there's steps you need to go through there's hoops and hurdles you need to to pass to finish your your masters what main attitude or principle would you say uh, has accompanied you and guided you from, you know, doing your master's to finishing your master's to today? Is is there something, is there a, a line that you can, uh, that you learned while doing your master's and it's still today that helps you?
1: Sure. So I learned that it's really important to stay curious and that same drive that had me wanting to discover more about the snail's brain in grad school is really the same thing that keeps me going in my day-to-day work today. So as a consultant for the pharmaceutical industry, I'm continuously learning about new disease states and new drugs and need to come up with solutions to help our clients with whatever issue they're facing. So in a way, the job I have now is quite similar to the research and experimentation that I did during grad school. Curiosity, I I think I
0: agree, I agree totally. and. And I agree that throughout life, uh, having curiosity, uh, especially uh, uh, in today's world where things are changing very dynamically and uh, very frequently, uh, if you stay curious, you'll stay motivated for sure. Um, now, you know, you, you you finish your your masters. You, uh, uh, I guess, you you had some answers to your questions, uh, and uh, and then it was over. Uh, and then you decided to not follow up into, uh, into academia, doing a PhD, postdoc, et cetera, et cetera. So can you tell us a, a little bit about that transition and, and about what path and how you made decisions that led you to where you are today, starting, starting at the end of your master's?
1: Sure. So when I was younger, I never really knew what I ultimately wanted to do for work when I was older. So for example, I wasn't one of those kids that knew early on that they wanted to be a doctor or a lawyer. I only knew that school was something that was very important to me. And so I just decided to take things one step at a time. And in high school and CGEP, which is college here in Quebec, I focused on science in general. And of all the science courses, I really enjoyed biology the most. So then I did my bachelor's in biology at McGill. And then of all my biology courses, I found neurobiology the most fascinating. And I loved learning about how the sensory system takes in information about the world around us. We process that information and then have motor neurons to in turn affect the world around us. So that's how I ended up doing my master's in neurobiology, working on the snail as a model organism. But then while working on my master's thesis, I also developed a love for science writing. So that was the next step, which is what allowed me to transition to a job in the pharmaceutical industry as a medical writer and then medical editor and And finally, developing training materials for pharma sales representatives. So, after seven years of Salesforce training, that's when I discovered an even narrower aspect of the pharma industry, which was market access and reimbursement, which is what I specialize in now. So, although I've kind of narrowed my focus, the topic of market access and reimbursement for pharma in general is still very broad and there's still a lot of room for discovery. But those are kind of the steps that took me to where I am now. And it was more of like a step by step process where i just kind of fell upon each new discovery as i went along
0: and you focused more and more into into something very very particular exactly yeah okay you you uh, mentioned that you uh, you discovered that you, that you liked uh, science writing did you write blogs or did, were you contributing to uh, uh, to us uh, to make to magazines or uh, to publications before uh, going into medical writing
1: uh, well, there was my thesis and then I was also an author on one journal publication that came out of my master's research. Okay so I was okay. a writer on that. And then I also helped review some of my my colleagues' journal uh, manuscripts and that sort of thing. So I, I didn't have a blog or anything like that. It was more of the, the academic writing that I actually enjoyed and sometimes even more than the research I was doing.
0: Okay. And, and people came to you to, uh, hey, look at my... Look at this uh, that I wrote. Uh, can you please review it? Something like that. Exactly. Yeah. Very cool. It makes total sense. And then once you feel that you have uh, almost a knack for something and that it's something uh, specialized and, it, and it's directly linked to what you do, you know, you, you, uh, you follow up on it. And, and, uh, and that's, uh, yeah, sounds very logical, but very cool that you had, you had that kind of uh, possibility to very quickly find your calling let's say yeah um and so it, it appears uh, from what you're saying that things went you know went very smoothly from one step to the next um still you you moved from you know the academic uh environment to to the the job market environment were there uh, any uh, fears or obstacles that you that you faced in that transition and even transitioning from one job to another or uh, was everything uh, did everything go as uh, smoothly throughout
1: there were definitely some fears and obstacles so my first fear leaving grad school was around whether i made the right decision to stop at the end of my masters instead of pursuing a phd so at the end of my masters program i was asked by my thesis supervisor if i wanted to extend to do a phd And Mm -hmm. I thought it over and decided to just complete the master's and then began looking for a job. And I still don't know if that was 100% the right decision. And I suppose I'll never know. But at the time, I knew that I didn't want to research snails for another two years. I also knew that I didn't want a career in academia. So I didn't feel the PhD was absolutely necessary. And finally, I really just wanted to get on with my life and get a job. So... When I started working, there was always that question of whether a PhD would give me maybe a higher position at my job or if I'd be paid more. And that is possibly true. However, I also had a two-year head start on my career by doing a master's, which was also a plus. So what I have seen in the real world is that a PhD definitely would have been an advantage, but that it's not impossible to get ahead without it. So for example, I've seen even high-level executives without any fancy degrees. And they got there because of their talent and their determination. And then on the flip side, I've also seen people with PhDs struggling to find a job or to keep a job. And in the end, I think it really comes down to what you can convincingly demonstrate you can do to help an organization achieve their goals. And that's what I've been focusing on. So I'm happy with where I am now. And I'm not really looking back and worrying too much about that decision that I made. But I think at the time, there was that uncertainty there that was a little bit difficult to overcome.
0: Yeah. Yeah. No. Uh, and I, I think it's the, it's the healthy uh, attitude. We're, we're not in the Marvel universe and we don't have uh gizmos that can bring us back in time. So, exactly, <laughs> uh, but um, for sure, uh, uh, hearing you and, and knowing you, um, you know, you, you've uh, definitely made the choices that led you somewhere where you're, you're doing well, you're doing something you love. And I think that's, in my opinion, I imagine you agree that's one of the most important things in the end.
1: Yeah, exactly. I think, uh, you know, I, I can't worry too much about those decisions as long as I'm happy now and I, I'm just forging down this, the path and there'll definitely be another fork and I'll need to make another decision. But as long as I go for it, jump in, make a decision and try to do my best, then I think that's the best I can do.
0: Yeah. And, uh, uh, you, you got your PMP, uh, um, certification, right? So this is also something that's coming up that has come up in other interviews is that even with a PhD, you can go back and do a certificate in, in the field that interests you. And then, you know, you can, when you're talking to employers, uh, you can say, well, yes, I have a PhD, but now I have a certificate in A or B, or I have an MBA in, in, uh, in C or D. And, um, because one of the issues that can happen is for some employers, they may uh, they may be reticent to employ a PhD because uh, they consider that that they may be uh, uh, overqualified. But uh, uh, for sure, uh, uh, in in other domains, let's say medical writing, uh, it's valued. Right, it's valued by the employer that that the person has this PhD. So it it, it depends. It depends on. On what job market you're uh, you're uh, launching yourself into
1: yeah exactly and uh, as you know I've got uh, three young kids so I think that um, it had been difficult to to do that kind of extra studying but now that they're a little bit older I got the PMP out of the way and then maybe even down the line I may want to go back and do something like an MBA because I think uh, in business and management that is something that that could be important for me down the line so Definitely. Um, you know, the PhD isn't the be all end all of everything. Maybe, who knows, maybe I'll want to do one eventually when I do have more time. But uh, there are options, and um, I'm looking forward to just seeing what else I can do with that later.
0: Yeah. yeah. So basically, you, you're not, by stopping your academic career, you're not closing a door because there's other doors that are going to open, and you can create your own doors and your own windows. <laughs> yeah. Excellent. Now, in the next section, uh, i like to talk about university and, and grad school and about the impact that uh, that going through grad school has had on, on, uh, on the guests, on the podcast guests. And uh, the first question that I'd like to ask you is, um, for uh, those of our uh, auditors that still have a year or two of studies to complete, uh, if you have any advice on how to make the most of their time at grad school, leading to their future non-academic career?
1: Sure. So uh, I would advise people to not just do what I did, which was to only focus on my classes and my research and not really look ahead to the next step. So, as I mentioned earlier, I really just stumbled upon the next step at the very last minute throughout my academic career leading up to my first job. But instead, I would suggest that people really invest the time to research what jobs and opportunities are available to them. So go to the job fairs and search job postings and talk to people in different industries. Create online profiles on the job boards and LinkedIn and all that stuff. Because I think it's, it's never too early to look into what your options are. And when I was at McGill, they had what was called CAPS or Career Planning Services. And uh, At the end of my degree, I basically worked with CAPS to help create a CV, and then started sending my CV out to all the jobs listed in the CAPS database and then found a job. So I was lucky that this worked out. But I think that I could have done more earlier on in case that strategy didn't work out. And uh, I think the other thing I would mention is to not be afraid to ask questions and just reach out to the people who may have more information than you about potential career opportunities. That may include Mm -hmm, people mm -hmm. like your professors, but also your teaching assistants or TAs. So there's a lot of people who have a lot of great information and experience that you can draw from.
0: Yeah. Uh, the, the career and placement services at McGill uh, are, are for sure uh, full of resources for, for people uh, looking to transition. And, um, and yeah, I, I do advise uh, anyone, uh, anyone at McGill to, that, that's looking for what's out there after to visit and to uh, to get appointments and to to uh, because they have all these uh, uh, CV building uh, resources and and uh, workshops and for sure CAPS is is the place to go at McGill for that. Excellent. Now now uh, the other thing from from grad school or about grad school that I'd like to talk is uh, transferable skills. So when we leave university, uh, we can to an extent lose our bearings because you know, the, the job market, is a, it's, a different, it's a different dynamic. Uh, time, you know, time and pressure is, is different. But uh, uh, I would say, and I hope you agree, that we're not totally without resources at, at this juncture. Uh, my question to you is, what skills that you acquired at grad school, you'd say, have been your greatest assets in reorienting your career? Which ones have been valued the most by your employers or by your peers up till today?
1: That's a great question. So I think it's fair to say that a lot of what you learn at university is directly transferable to the job market. So when I left university, I didn't only know about the reproductive system of the snail. More importantly, (laughs) what I gained were research skills in the laboratory and also in the library. And university also gave me organizational skills to get the work done and also to meet deadlines like for completing my thesis on time, that sort of thing. And then finally, leadership skills. So, being a teacher's assistant or TA, for example, I learned to be a leader in the classroom, instructing undergrads on animal dissections and their course materials. And then a lot of that was directly transferable. For example, when working as an editor with multiple medical writers working under me.
0: Yeah, that that's very. Uh, it's it's what I believe too. Uh, but the why I why I like this question is because I remember that. When I finished, I didn't see that, you know, it wasn't easy to see these, the transferability of these, these skills later on, uh, later on, they, they, it started coming up and it started being more and more evident, but I think it's important for uh, our auditors to that are finishing or they have just finished to let them know you learned a lot. Uh, and it's not, uh, not only you didn't learn only about your, uh, your thesis and your, your theme, there's a lot of habits that you gain a lot, of, a lot of, uh, abilities that you honed that are prized, that, you know, that are valued, uh, by, by, you know, employers or people you're going to meet, you know, you're going to, uh, partner with in your, in your, uh, non-academic
1: yeah, life. I totally agree.
0: And, uh, in terms of, of networking, uh, do you feel that uh, grad school versus uh, the job market are two airtight compartments, or is there some networking that you do today that ha- that is still connected to, to you going through university?
1: So I think in my case, I would have to say yes, they are two airtight compartments. Um, so I have kept in touch with some of the people I met in grad school, but none of them pursued a career in the pharmaceutical industry. So, there haven't really been many networking opportunities that would be of any value to me. But uh, most of the people I knew continued to do more organismal biology work, and they're mostly now researchers or teachers. So, I kind of keep in touch with them on Facebook or whatever, but uh, I wouldn't say that I network too much with them from a career perspective.
0: Okay, Uh, that's fair. Um, uh, And uh, what about? When you change uh, careers, uh, give, you know, given that you're still in, in uh, connected uh, domains, there must be some connection still uh, happening uh, from you know from your previous jobs to to your current job. Yes,
1: in that case, there are definitely a lot of networking opportunities. So, um, going from pharmaceutical salesforce training. To where I am now, which is pharmaceutical market access consulting, there is a lot of overlap. And I still keep in contact with a lot of people from my old job. And uh, just being in the pharma space, going to conferences and um, just being in that pharma world, you do bump into a lot of people. And for that, I can definitely say that there is a lot of opportunity. Even Um, A lot of the people I worked with before have now moved on to pharma companies and can become potential new clients for me at my current job. So there's, yeah, there's a lot of opportunity there too.
0: Excellent. All right. Um, now, going back to people who are still in in you know in grad school, you mentioned uh, caps, so the McGill Career and Placement Services, and this touches on on uh, uh, on something that I wanted to that I I like to talk about, which is, um, you know, during grad studies, uh, we you you may tend to feel and and you mentioned that before, that you know all you do all and all that's important and all you do is your project it would be a master's or a PhD project. And, in, you know, it may occupy the, your whole existence from, uh, from waking up to, uh, to going back to bed at night. And, uh, and also you may have this feeling that you, you're working, you know, you're working for someone else that it's not for you. And uh, given, given the size and the duration, uh, you know, the length of these projects, it's easy to forget yourself, you know, forget, uh, uh, to to take care of, of certain aspects of your personal life in the process, especially if if we're talking about students who come from outside, who may not have this the safety net of their family close by or uh, or or uh, uh, their you know their group of friends close by. So, uh, you already mentioned uh, using uh, the resources that are available and offered by your university. Uh, in this case, you you talked about caps, and I, I reiterate this is very very important and very, very helpful. Um, But my question would be during, uh, during your studies, what habits or resources have helped you cultivate yourself as an independent person and that helped you come out ready to promote yourself on the job market?
1: So during my studies, and now as I'm in the job market, I've always tried to identify and focus on the things that interest me most. And that also play into my strong suits. So it's really simple. I would just ask, what do I love doing? And what am I good at? So if there's anything that overlaps within those two categories, then that's what I would focus on. You really can't go wrong. So for me, three things that I was interested in, aside from the science itself, and that I was good at were writing, presentation, and multimedia. So I love writing and putting together presentations and I've learned to be proficient with multimedia platforms over the years. So I've really enjoyed being able to find work in which I've been able to put all of these things together and that might be in like a tablet-based training program for pharma sales reps mm-hmm. or a SharePoint site for market access affiliates or anything that kind of goes outside just the science and allows me to to bring in other areas of expertise that I've developed
0: cool so leverage your strong suits even though they're not directly connected to the to your your uh, research work yeah that's that's actually very very uh very pertinent and and something that yeah that everyone should do you you you're not a, a one dimension person people have many uh different interests and uh and strengths that that they should Put forward for sure I, I agree now one aspect that, that I'd like you to to uh, um, go into a little bit is uh, what about uh, activities you know outside of grad school uh, extracurricular activities hobbies things like that w- was that important in uh, keeping you? Uh, you know, keeping you focused, energized throughout?
1: Yes, definitely. So you know me personally, and you know that I've played music my whole life. And uh, while I was in grad school, I played in a rock band here in Montreal. And we also played some shows outside of the city. So music was something that allowed me to kind of de-stress. And uh, when I'd leave the lab, I would go practice with my band and play shows on the weekend. And mm-hmm. that's something that helped me then and still helps me now in my current career, because uh, music really is my passion. And it's something that I know I'll continue doing for the rest of my life. And it's a good getaway from the, the stressful day-to-day work. And I definitely do enjoy the work that I do. But uh, music is something that is a little bit different and uh, allows me to just exercise the more creative side of my brain. And One thing that I should probably add too is that it kind of works in the opposite direction too because a lot of the things that I learned in being in a band and getting up on stage and performing in front of crowds, those are things that I can actually draw from as well in my day-to-day work because I'm actually not really a natural public speaker. It's not something that I thought that I was that good at in the beginning but I think in being able to get up on stage with my band is something that allowed me to be a little bit more of a, a performer in the boardroom and uh, in Salesforce training and talking to sales representatives and that sort of thing. So it is something that has actually helped me in my career, even though it started off as just a passion.
0: That's, that's actually very cool. I, I had never seen it uh, like that and uh, very cool. So it, this touches the point about... Uh, cultivating yourself and then, um, allowing you to promote yourself in a way, uh, in, in a job market that often, you know, needs people to, uh, to be, um, you know, to, to speak in public, to, uh, to be able to express themselves, to be able to present, to be able to present ideas uh, to clients, uh, very, very, very interesting bridge that you, uh, that you establish there. And, uh, so, so, and I, I think what's super important about what you're saying is, uh people uh people need to not um let go of the things they they love and they love to do because they're in a graduate program and uh and they should keep doing them because uh again like you said it's uh, kind of it's kind of a a vent it could be it can be a vent for many things for creativity or a type of creativity that you don't use Uh, Let's say in the lab or in in research, Uh, and uh, it it can be uh, it can be also a place where you meet your uh, your your friends uh, in in a certain regular basis and then you disconnect from either your job or or your research and which then in a way, I would say, recharges your batteries to uh, to when you pick up again. The next day that you go, you go to lab.
1: Yeah, I totally agree. And I think at first, I was a little bit nervous that people would think of me as, uh, you know, someone not serious enough in the pharma world because, oh, he's got this other rock band going on. <laughs> but then in actually living through it, I realized that people are actually more interested in talking to me because, you know, they don't look down upon me because uh I'm also very passionate about music. I think they're more interested in hearing about it. and so. I've really enjoyed being able to keep both of those aspects of, of my life going. Great.
0: That, so that was about uh, uh, you know t- taking care of yourself during such a project. Now, what about people that, that help you? Uh, have you had mentors that helped you in your journey during your studies
1: or even after your studies? Absolutely. So my master's supervisor, Dr. Ronald Chase, was definitely one of the most important mentors I've had. Um, I'm definitely grateful that he took me on as a researcher in his lab. And I also learned so much from him about the scientific method. So he's also a fascinating and inspiring guy who researched snail brains for most of his life. But since retirement has gone on to write these incredible books about mental illness. And he's the one person who I really kept in contact with from grad school over the years. And he's been a reference for any job that I applied for since grad school. And he's just a a great guy to reach out to whenever I need any advice on anything. And then after my studies, I've had 2 main jobs, each with a key mentor, who was again my immediate supervisor. So in my first job in Pharma Salesforce training, I had a boss by the name of Mark Roberts who really showed me how to transition from the mindset of a student into one of a professional. And that included how to manage my time, how to respect project budgets, and also how to interact with clients, which I hadn't done before at grad school. And at my current company, I had a great mentor by the name of Emmanuel Koito, who took it to the next level and then really showed me how to be a good consultant. So part of that was to really listen to what the client's needs are, and to have the confidence to trust your instinct to propose the best solution possible. So. With this, I was able to earn greater respect from my clients who could now see me more as a problem solver than someone who just checks the boxes. And in the world of consulting, it's really important to have that. So that has been a key objective of mine and something that I continually strive to improve.
0: Very cool. And... uh... Did, did the, the mentor-mentee relationship just come up naturally? I guess, you, you know, your supervisor for sure, you know, he was your supervisor. So uh, the rapport, you know, was it was part um, of that relationship. But then uh, in your working life, uh, this mentorship-mentee, uh, let's say, relationship, did it develop naturally? It came up, uh, um, let's say, organically during your path uh, throughout the, the, the different jobs?
1: Well, I think that the three people that I mentioned were all my superiors and my the people who I immediately reported to, so it wasn't only organic, but I think that we just had a clique that really worked and they were the type of mentors and supervisors that really wanted to kind of cultivate learning in the people who um, they oversee and I really reached out to that. And we just had a good rapport where we would have weekly, sometimes even daily meetings to talk about the work, but also where my career was going. And it was just clear that they Mm -hmm. wanted to help. And that was something that I made sure that I took full advantage of. And uh, it also helped them because when they're overseeing projects, they were able to feel confident in having that connection with me. So I think it's something that's very important and I'm really grateful that I had it with those three people.
0: Great so so a, a connection like a like you said a, a click that happens that that allows for a I guess uh, and, and tell me if I I'm, I'm interpreting right that allows for a, a very uh straightforward rapport with the person and that you were also in a in a mindset that you you know you had your mind open to learn whatever this person had to teach you at the, at, the, at the at that time
1: exactly so it's really just open communication and not just them telling me what to do it's uh asking a lot of questions getting a feel for what the person's strengths and weaknesses are and then hopefully kind of uh focusing on the strengths and then improving whatever may be a weak point. And then what I learned from them is now something that I try to do with the people who I'm working with on, on my projects. And it's just the whole learning experience and the, just the culture of development that I think is really important for an organization. Excellent.
0: Well, the, I think you've touched on, on the points that, that uh, uh, I, I wanted you to. Um, now I have a, a last question. That I like to ask, and it's kind of a, you know, you you have to put yourself uh, to imagine yourself in in a situation, and uh, and uh, and it's the following situation: imagine that you're standing in front of an audience full of young finalists or or recent graduates. You know, people uh, just like you when you finished your your grad school, they're struggling through fears, worries, doubts, and obstacles to find their place in the job market to trace their journey towards a productive and uh, fulfilling life. So what I'd like you to do is to tell them what two or three basic strategies or principles they could follow starting today to put in place a realistic and attainable transition project.
1: Sure. So first, I would say to identify what you are good at and what you enjoy doing. So they may not necessarily be the same thing, but hopefully your future job would contain elements of both. And next, I would say start working on your brand early. So this would mean developing your CV and your LinkedIn page, but also putting together your elevator pitch to summarize your profile. This is something that you should have prepared to recite to someone if an opportunity arises. And then third, I would say don't be afraid to take a leap. So to try new things and do things that scare you, like I mentioned before. Um, some people might like the idea of just doing the same old repetitive tasks and over and over again. But if you want to progress in your career, keep things interesting and do more meaningful work that makes a real difference, whether it be for your clients or for anyone else, then I think that you need to take risks and put yourself out there.
0: Okay. Which loops back to stay curious. Exactly. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Excellent. Well, Rob. It was really a pleasure to have you uh, at the Papa PhD microphone. Uh, I think you had a lot of interesting insights, and uh, and I think uh, our listeners will profit a lot from uh, from what you had to to share with them. Uh, so thank you, thank you for for being here, thank you for for your time. Is there something? Is there a last uh, shout out you'd like to give?
1: No, not really. It was really my pleasure to be on your podcast today. So thanks for having me.
0: Alrighty. So thank you very much. And, uh, and we'll speak soon.
1: All right. Take care.
0: Thanks for listening to another episode of the Papa PhD podcast. Head over to PapaPhD.com for show notes and for more food for thought about non-academic post-grad careers. I'll always be happy to share inspiring stories, new ideas, and useful resources here on the podcast. So make sure you subscribe on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts to always keep up with the discussion and to hear from our latest guests.